Let's go. This is the Rich Eisen Show with guest host Tom Pelissero. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. How did you pull off the biggest comeback in NFL history? Okay, I need a second, Tom. Earlier on the show, host of the Old Man and Three podcast, J.J. Reddick. NFL Network reporter, Mike Garofolo. Still to come, two-time Super Bowl champion, Dion Branch. And now, sitting in for Rich, it's Tom Pelissero. It is Tom Pelissero on a Rich Eisenless edition of the Rich Eisen Show. Rich did call in. Earlier on, he's out in Pittsburgh to call the Steelers-Raiders game on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate uh, Immaculate Conception. What am I talking about? Am I, am I even awake well, over you got here? Christmas on Immaculate the Immaculate Reception. Yeah. Christmas on Goodness the gracious. Yeah, that's true. It's at least uh, it's in the holiday spirit here. <laughs> the call that came on Saturday night, freezes face off in the uh, open press box on, uh, on NFL Network. Uh, thankfully, one upside for me living in Minneapolis is is they decided to build that stadium indoors. Uh, That was not originally the plan. A lot of people don't remember this, but several years before U.S. Bank Stadium came into existence, they actually had agreed to parameters of a deal and a lease up in Invergrove Heights, which is north of the Twin Cities, to have an outdoor stadium. Outdoor tailgating. They had a press conference. Bud Grant was there. Like the toughness is coming back. Wow. They had all these, you know, the fans dressing up in their horns and the face paint and everything. They'd be like, yeah, tailgating. Then, like, the rug got pulled out from under that, which happens sometimes in these deals. End up building on the site of the Metrodome, even though it's like a 40% bigger footprint, but they built it there and indoors. And every week that I walk into that stadium, when the Vikings are good, I spend a great deal of my time covering their games. I'm always just thinking, At least this is as far as I need to walk. It is across the street. It's about a 200-yard walk, and now I'm indoors for the rest of the day. And then I watch all the other NFL Network reporters doing their live shots. Like this weekend, I'll be covering the... If if I make it out of here with the high winds back home, I will be covering the Vikings-Giants game on Saturday and be the only one who's not absolutely freezing uh, around the league. That game last Saturday, and I don't do a ton of uh, sideline, like actual during-the-game sidelines. Part of the process of that is, you know, you go through these production meetings, and you meet with different people. You get a lot of different stories about, you know, whether it's the strategy of the game, changes that are being made, how the Vikings are going to approach it. Because I had the Vikings sideline, Lindsey Zarniak was doing the uh, the Colts sideline. You also have all these fun stories that we're going to tell, right, about, you know, Kirk Cousins doing his brain training. That was one of the ones we were going to get into. When all of a sudden it's 33 to nothing <laughs> yeah, in the first half, you can't tell any of those. Well, Kirk Cousins drains his brain. No, you can't go to those stories. So I'm watching the whole thing unfold. It didn't feel like the Colts were outclassing the Vikings, out physicaling them, any of that. Right. It just felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong Yeah, for Minnesota. Yep. Dalvin Cook has a fumble. They have two huge breakdowns on special teams and give up big returns. Cousins throws a pick six. They had the first of two fumble return touchdowns that gets overturned. Right. This one was on forward progress. The second one was uh, just nothing. Just a yeah. total botch by the officials. But all that stuff went wrong. You're still not, and I walk back to the green room to eat something quickly at halftime, you're still not thinking in that moment, well, this is going to completely turn around. Literally, it never happened in NFL history. But I'll tell you this, and it was fascinating being that close to it because I'm, you know, on the sideline, you know, trying to watch Justin Jefferson going in and out of the medical tent a couple of times, yeah. just looking in people's eyes, looking at the body language and everything. 
when it was, remember, it was also 36 to 7 late in the third quarter in that yep. game. When they scored to make it 36 to 14, I turned to Scott Landy, who was my spotter, and said, they're going to win this game. Because even though this had never happened in NFL history, there are times that you can sense if you're reading energy and body language. And I'm not claiming I'm a fortune teller. Don't ask me for betting advice, Brock, because I already can see the look on your face. That's what you're thinking you're going to do. Super nice to get that text at 30, because we could have got amazing, uh, probably 30 to 1 there, Mike. Scott Scott looked at me and just goes, "What, what are you talking about? I go, just look. And if you just read the body language on the Colts players, you read the body language on the Vikings players, the energy in the stadium, like you could feel it. Now, a lot of things still had to happen. They still almost didn't win it. Yeah. You know, Jalen Rager run, you know, gives up on a route, and it's an interception. Cousins goes right over to him like, what are you doing? But it, you know, He's only running that route because Justin Jefferson's in the medical tent. Right. There are all these things that had to happen, but you could just sense it, that the only thing working against the Vikings was going to be time in that game. And sure enough, come all the way back, the biggest comeback in NFL history. And I think a lot of people saw the post-game interview that I did with Kirk Cousins. Number one, in those moments, especially with a chaotic finish like that, Greg Joseph's being hoisted on people. I couldn't find Kirk Cousins. I'm out there <laughs> looking. I know we're getting Kirk. I'm going, where is he? Eventually found him. He, like, you know, he jumped into a, the prayer circle after the game and whatnot, and then he comes up to me. I saw a few people commenting on Twitter on the video saying, like, oh, he knew. He's just playing it up for the cameras. I am telling you. Looking that man in the eye, he had no idea that no one had ever come back from 33 points down. So when he looks at me, he just goes, in NFL history, in NFL history, that was the legitimate wow. response. Like, it's just, it, it was unlike any game I've ever seen. You know, Patrick Peterson came up to Kirk right before I was going to talk to him. and was just going, I told you, five. We just needed five. And that's what he had told him in the locker room was, well, we just need five touchdowns. Cousin said, <laughs> oh, I thought he was being sarcastic. But in fact, they come all the way back. That's been the story of the Vikings this year, not these massive comebacks, but time and again, they have had to rally in the fourth quarter. They have had to win these close games. What's that going to translate into when you get into the postseason and you got to get through the Eagles and you got to get through the 49ers and the Cowboys potentially? I don't know, but they quite possibly will have two home playoff games if they get the number two seed. Now you're at home for the two games, assuming you win the first one. And they're tough, man. They've got a lot of talented players, and they got one of the most unique weapons in the NFL in Justin Jefferson. Which brings me to the annual poll that I do of executives for around the NFL. It's a big project every year because basically I, I text or call all 32 teams and put out messages. 26 got back in two days, which is pretty high percentage. Pretty good. Though I definitely file away those six and who they were <laughs> for next year. Like, all right, I will remember I got to stay on you Belichick. next time. But 15 general managers, so half the GMs in the league. And it's always interesting to me. It's an early awards poll. Right. So even though you got three weeks of the season left, MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player, Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year, and the Rookies of the Year, just to see what the people who are in this every day and they're watching tape, you have some biases because you a lot of times you're thinking about the players who might have done something to you. Mm-hmm. You know, if they if they blew up against you, you're probably going to be you know more inclined to vote for them. But it's always interesting to see where the numbers net out. So how accurate have you found this to be? Uh, well, about who eventually wins the award because it's not intended to be predictive right it does I think more than anything it's it can influence some people because it may make you think about mm-hmm. candidates you were not otherwise thinking about but the difference is I think that a lot of the voters and it's remember it's a 50 person panel it's a lot of media people it's some former players a lot of those votes are based on you know quite frankly I think a lot of the voters based on what we see year after year are influenced by highlights they're influenced by 
what they think and what the media is saying, as opposed to these guys are just watching it. And the executive of the year is always the most interesting one because then you're voting on your peers and seeing who you thought got over on other people on some of these trades and things through the course of the year. So the MVP is basically a two-man race. It's Patrick Mahomes versus Jalen Hurts. Mahomes ended up winning with 16 votes. Hurts got six and a half. I thought that that was fascinating because that shows you that even though Jalen Hurts is having a phenomenal year, he's going to get a lot of votes for the actual award, Patrick Mahomes is still the most unique player probably in the entire league. You can see the rest of the or the rest of the winners here. Justin Jefferson for Offensive Player of the Year. That one wasn't close. Nick Bosa got 17 and a half of the 26 votes. And wow. by the way, the one GM who voted half votes on yeah, everything what are we doing? drives me nuts. He he's having like four for each category. I'm like, I'm just gonna take the first two, okay? We're just gonna we're gonna drill this down. Oh, so you, it was just one guy who did it? It's a few, there were a couple others, but mostly it was one person wow. voting two people for every award. <laughs> uh Garrett Wilson. That one was close because Garrett Wilson beat out Chris Olave and Damian Pierce for that award. They all got Wilson got nine votes, Olave got six, Pierce got five. That was really close. Kenneth Walker got three votes for that award as well. Sauce Gardner, not close, got eighteen votes. Tariq Woolen had a handful of votes. Uh, another good candidate, coach of the year, Nick Sirianni, ends up winning. That was another one where it was completely split. It was really Sirianni and Kyle Shanahan. Oh. Those were the two who had the most. Sirianni being got the best record in the league. They've been unbelievable since they made some changes like midway through last season. If you look at their record, I think they're 19-4 and four since like week 10 of last season. So it wasn't just this year. I mean, this has been going on yeah. for a while. Uh, and then Howie Roseman winning the executive of the year over his good buddy, uh, John Schneider and and how he gets votes every year just because of all the different things that he does for roster building. The other fun part of this story, and I know I've I've seen you guys do this with my draft breakdown before, reading some of the quotes. Yeah. So absolutely. Brockman, I figured I can't do it because I know who, who said, said these things, <laughs> and so I'm I'm inevitably going to say it the way that they said it. I just want to hear you. Oh, okay. Give give me a few of your favorite your favorite all quotes right. from the story. So I've been uh, so I've been scrolling this, and so we can kind of just. Go in order. Uh, let's start with MVP. So Patrick Mahomes, this uh, AFC executive, said, "I mean, why not? He's the best quarterback in the league." Hurts. I'm just. I can feel him being kind of sarcastic. Like, really, Hurts. Hurts is having a great year. Mahomes has 35 touchdowns. They win. They got a lot of weapons, but he's just so different. And that's it. That really encapsulates what GMs and other executives think. Is Jalen Hurts having a great year? This is. I always feel like this is the same reason that Bill Belichick didn't win the Coach of the Year award for like 15 straight years is you're always looking for the new thing. And again, I am taking nothing away from Jalen Hurts. If he wins the actual award, he is more than deserving. But we take Patrick Mahomes so for granted. I think more than any player in the NFL. He does things on a weekly basis that we've never seen anybody do in terms of the types of throws, the plays that he makes in the crunch situation, and the fact that you took away... His best weapon for a long time, nothing against Travis Kelsey. Tyreek Hill is a unique player. They brought in Juju, and they're relying more on Mecole Hardman, and they drafted a receiver, but you're taking that guy out, and it seemed to have had a net zero effect. We The entire offseason, we talked about every team in the AFC West except the Chiefs because the Raiders added everybody, because the Broncos went and got Russell Wilson, because the Chargers brought in Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. Who's on top? Who's in line for the number one seed? Again, it's the Chiefs, and Patrick Mahomes a huge reason for that. Yeah, and that was the other quote uh, that you had here from a different AFC exec. Uh, the games when he's really on it, they're unbeatable. That's on him. You could argue Hurts and Allen, 
but whatever receivers they roll into KC, he makes it work. And I think you kind of see that. You know, uh, the anonymous quote that the Athletic had earlier this year was that, oh, Mahomes plays too much street ball. Yeah, well, street ball works when the play breaks down and he's got to run for his life. And he, also, does that, yeah. and he does that little flip to Jarek McKinnon, and McKinnon takes it 40 yards for a touchdown. Like, he's, he's incredible. Here's the other problem with the, the, the street ball label, too. What Mahomes does is not street ball. Yes, he creates off schedule, but a lot of the things that they do are built into the fabric of that offense in terms of the scramble drill and everything else. When Mahomes came out, and nobody really knew because he came from Texas Tech and it's the air raid, teams are always skeptical. Does this guy actually know football? Mahomes was so impressive on the board. That's how he ended up rocketing up the board. Ends up getting taken above Deshaun Watson, which everyone thought was crazy at the time. The Chiefs trade up to number 10 to go get Mahomes, but it was the fact that he does have a plan. Yes, sometimes he throws the ball left-handed or the, the alley-oop thing, the, the, yeah. the sky hook that he threw last week. I mean, he makes those plays, but it's all built into the structure of things. You can only do that because of one guy, which is, my opinion, the definition of valuable. I like this one. Offensive player of the year, Justin Jefferson. Now, Mike, I can't curse, right? No cursing? Negative. <laughs> this effing guy is good, man. Whoa, that's fine. <laughs> You're fine. He, he knows how to create separation. He catches everything. I don't know why we're surprised. He was just like that at LSU. They had Chase, too, but he was the clutch guy. Everybody thought, like you know, that. the people who were skeptical on Justin Jefferson coming out were thinking, is he a slot? Even though you look at him, he's not built like a slot. He's not an undersized guy, but his sophomore year it would have been, because I think he came out after his junior year, his sophomore year, he played almost predominantly in the slot. His last year at LSU, when they won the national title game, they moved him around more. But what everybody missed was the reason that they are playing him in the slot is because it's easier to get the guy the ball there. <laughs> right. If you're out on the out on the perimeter, it's harder just to manufacture it and keep pumping him the ball. That's... Cousins, uh, Kirk Cousins said this to us in the production meeting last week when he was asked about the identity of the offense. He's like, well, facetiously, I'd say the identity of our offense is get the ball to Justin. No, that's seriously basically the identity of the offense and has been for most of this season, even though we saw last weekend Delvin Cook is still uh, quite a playmaker himself. Here's one about your guy, TJ, Micah Parsons, who, oh, he had eight votes in Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I'm trying to imagine that defense without him. I still think they're okay. But he's so effing good. I like when these guys curse about how good a guy. There's is. a lot of yeah, a lot of cursing. That's, <laughs> that's always one of the you, big takeaways. But that's take how you know they believe it, right? <laughs> that's how you also know that it's an authentic quote. Yeah. I always there's always a great you know back and forth. I, I feel like um, I've seen the stories before where Matt Stone and Trey Parker on South Park have like these memos that go back and forth to the network of like what are you and are you not allowed to say this week? And I always have the like I have to battle for how many. F words I can have in these stories because like sometimes they're like okay we'll leave these in but like this one's just egregious we got it we got to take this one out got a few in there though yeah there's a few in there here's the, here's the last one is about uh, is about Howie Roseman uh, he's playing three dimensional football executive I don't even know what that means it's like when people say there's four four D chess means uh, like yeah it means that he's using everything every weapon at his disposal the draft free agency trades he's doing it all. Yeah, and he goes back to talk about how they won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. I considered that the hat tip, but nope, he did it again. That mother bleeper. And that executive, by the way, did sound... He was half joking, but kind of like... Kind of pissed. I can't... This guy did it again. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, Howie, what he's done since he came back into that role, because remember, when Chip Kelly took over the personnel side of things, there was that little stretch there where Howie was not in charge, but he built a Super Bowl winner back in 2017. Basically had to tear things down, move on from the quarterback, 
everything that they did and now has built it again where they've got the best record in the league five years later. That's a really hard thing to do. Also, there was love in that story if you still got open Brockman for John Schneider, the Seahawks Yeah, I was just looking at that one. That was the last quote. Uh, The whole world told Schneider they were going (laughs) to effing be not worth an S, (laughs) which is true. I mean, I had them in the running for the top spot in the draft. They're competitive. He drafts Woolen, and what effing round was that? (laughs) And those two tackles, that was pretty brave, but just managing the quarterback position, that's hard to do. uh, John Schneider deserves a ton of credit. Yeah. It was not. And Pete you go too. back. I think it's Pete easy now to go back and go. Oh man, you know they they pulled one over on the Broncos. Everyone, practically everyone, was on board with Denver making that trade back in March. The reaction was, "What are the Seahawks going to do? Yeah. They're just going to play Geno Smith? It's going to be Drew Locke? Well, you look at it. Geno just made the Pro Bowl Gino last night. Awesome this year. And their draft class. They think they've got ten rookies who have played this year. And their draft class was two tackles who were both starting, Tariq Woolen in the fifth round. That's what effing round it was. And Kenneth Walker, who's a a rookie of the year candidate himself. It's one of the best drafts that we've seen in the NFL. and might be kind of like the, I want to say it was the the 2010 draft where they got basically the foundation of the Legion of Boom and that team. They may have done it again a decade later. And they're going to have the top five pick. They have Denver's selection this year, right? which right now is number three. Chance to keep building. And Howie's got the Saints pick, which is quite possibly a top ten selection, too, if they don't win the woeful AFC South or NFC South. Take on this holiday season with the help of Navy Federal Credit Union. When you use the Navy Federal Cash Rewards card, you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases. You can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. And using the Navy Federal mobile app makes redeeming easier than ever. Enjoy the rewards of cash back without any annual fee, balance transfer, or foreign transaction fees. There are no limitations on rewards, and they never expire while your account is open. Learn how you can get cheered to Last all year with the cash rewards card at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission, insured by NCUA. Rates are variable and range between 12.65% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 and non-Navy Federal ATMs. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Dion Branch, Patriots legend, also just won a bowl game. Did you realize this? As an interim coach at Louisville, so much to talk to with Dion. What's going on with Tom Brady? What's going on with his old coach, Bill Belichick? We'll talk to Dion next on The Rich Eisen Show. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL Draft, which means for me, 
I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, I'm just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So Sleep Number helps me. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Tom Pellicero in for Rich Eisen, who is in Pittsburgh to call the Steelers-Raiders game on Saturday night on NFL Network. Phone lines open here, 844-204-RITS. Let's go to the phones right now. Kevin in Seattle. Kevin, it's Tom Pellicero. What's going on? Hey, Tom. Hey, Chris. Hey, everybody. What's up, brother? What's up, um, Long-time listener. I love your guys' show. I just had a quick um, thought. Every time I hear the streetball moniker put on Patrick Mahomes, um, I don't understand how that is a negative. Like, um, when people talk about streetball, I'm assuming they're talking like basketball, which in my opinion is the most exciting. Like watching street ballers play, you know, doing these amazing moves, making magic happen. I think it's a compliment. Like the fact that Patrick Mahomes gets called a street baller when he's doing this magic stuff. Um, I think it's a great thing. What are your thoughts on that? That was not a compliment as it was given. <laughs> right, it was too too <laughs> much good. street ball. Patrick Mahomes is also one of the best pocket passers in the NFL. Right, the things that he can do, you know, just with the way that he can release the football, the quick release. Um, you know, obviously he's got the arm strength, and then he's got you know mobility, more mobility than you would think, based on just how he kind of looks when he's just jogging around the field. Like he doesn't look as if he has that escapability the way that he does. It's it's a fine line. There are players who play streetball in the NFL, but those guys, in terms of like, if we're talking about as a negative, are the ones who are playing outside the scope of their offense. Again, this is stuff that Andy Reid has baked in to the offense. Yes, there's nothing. They're not practicing. Well, maybe Patrick is left-handed passes and things like that, but you are doing things in the scramble drill. You are building things in to take advantage of his natural skills. I mean, that's... To me, quarterback is so contextual within the NFL. If Patrick Mahomes, who's unbelievably talented, but if he goes into a different situation and he's not with Andy Reid and he doesn't have the benefit of spending a year learning under Alex Smith and Andy being able to sculpt the offense around him because he's one of the greatest offensive minds in NFL history, is he the same guy? Maybe he is playing more street ball at that point, if we want to call it that. Maybe he is having to make more things happen. The fact that he plays within the rhythm of that offense and distributes the football. Everything else is just the extra. It's that next little thing that puts him over the top, which again, I go back to this is on the level to me of Bill Belichick being the coach of the year every year for probably 10 to 15 years. We are not consistently voting for Patrick Mahomes for MVP just because everybody wants something new. Everybody wants to think about a different player. Mahomes does things on a weekly basis. You do not see anybody else in the NFL do. 
Our guest right now join us on the Mercedes-Benz Vans phone lines, played with well, at least one pretty good quarterback. Guy who was an 11-year NFL vet, two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, and now, I think most importantly, an unbeaten college head coach, Dion Branch, is with us. Dion, it, it's Tom Pellicero. I, there's a lot I want to talk to you about, but first of all, take me through the process by which you end up being the interim head coach for your alma mater, Louisville. And not only that, getting a win to go to 1-0 all-time. Correct. Tom, I appreciate you guys for having me. Uh, the AD Josh Hurd reached out to me and um, extended the, the offer once Coach Satterfield decided to take the Cincinnati job. Uh, you know, he reached out and extended the offer. At first, I was like, no. Honestly, and, and the reason being is because we we've have we got ten uh, staff members that are coaches that are super qualified for the job, but I also understood the process that Josh and the selection committee went through, and the, the reason why they came in, came up with the decision to elect me. Uh, I think once that happened, it was a no brainer. Once we had that conversation and talked talked that out, uh, I, I primarily I was just thinking about those young men, knowing that had I told these guys I turned this opportunity down, they would have been pissed. You know, I've been actually been the player development for the university the, the past 11 months, and I've gotten to know these young men on a strong, strong level, uh, strong, intimate level. And I know they would have been super proud of me, and, and they're super happy that I did take upon this opportunity to be the interim head coach for them. It's the Fenway Bowl. That was the game that, that you coached in, and it's the only time I can really remember where the head coach has left to join the other team that you're facing in the bowl game. <laughs> On top of that, I mean, this is the keg of nails, right? This is a this is a rivalry yeah. game. I have to imagine this meant a lot to you. Oh, it meant a lot to me. You know, planning, planning, coaching this game for one back in Fenway in Boston uh, in the rivalry game. You know, I played against Cincinnati twice. We beat them both times coached against them once, and we beat them again. So everything was aligned for it to end the way that it ended. You know, the guys did an amazing job uh, all week in practice. The coaches did a phenomenal job. The three full-time staff coaches that stayed back, and then we, I had a bunch of GAs and QCs who filled in the void for the other coaches that left. Uh, I can't extend my gratitude for the, the amount of work that those individuals put in to help me keep those young men locked in and prepared to get to go out and play this game, to play the bowl game uh, Saturday. I can't thank those guys enough. Um, and I pray and wish that all my coaches that was on board actually have the opportunity to get another job. And I think for the most part, some of those guys are actually getting picked up. So I'm super proud for, for, for the coaches and their families. I went to Boston College, so I've been to a, a number of, of Red Sox games through the years. And every time that they have this game at Fenway, all I can think, Dion, is – I don't understand how the field fits. Now, I, I know that there's only one sideline, right? And there's police between the right. two teams. It, it, it's unlike any other setting, but I, I, like, I, I sit back and just go, they had to have shorted it, right? This field has to be four yards slimmer or not, it only 95 yards long, something to make that thing fit in that stadium. Yeah, and, and you know what? They did an amazing job with um, structuring the, the field. Actually, the turf was amazing. Uh, everything was great. And the, the configuration, how they did it, it, it aligns. The only thing that was different was us being on the same sideline. You know, that is the only thing that was sort of weird. But in my entire uh, Bill Belichick mode that I was actually doing the entire two weeks at the hem, 
I was making sure that I had our guys prepared for that type of uh, setting, you know, because it's a little different substituting guys and you're going across the field. You know, you may be on one end, but your defense is subbing from the opposite end. So we were well prepared. We, we practiced this stuff for two weeks. Um, and it, it looks as if Cincinnati did an amazing job as well preparing for it. That was the only thing that was weird. But as far as the layout, the configuration of everything, the, the surface, everything was great. I feel like you say you went into Belichick mode with your personality, Dion. I don't know that you could ever go full Belichick. I know I can't go full Belichick, but I, as far as the preparation, you know, I understand what it's like being under coach for for numerous years. I spent eight years with him, and I've always felt, and and, and I'll speak this biasly, we were the most prepared team every week that we played against anybody. And that was simply because of the work that we put in throughout the course of the week before the games. And the only thing I did was just implement most of that, everything that the coaches have taught me, all of my coaches, and but in particular Coach Belichick, within uh, those two weeks, I gave those guys everything that I had. That's been such a huge part of the Patriot way for so long, Dion, for, for two decades now is – they're always the team that's not going to beat themselves. They're going to wait you out, make you win left-handed, and then make the other team beat themselves. So when you when you watch this season, and in particular something like what happened on the final play last week against the Raiders, where you know Jacoby Myers is trying to turn this into a lateral play and throws, I don't even know what you call it, an interception, basically, and Chandler Jones runs right. 50 yards. What, what goes through your head thinking that this is the Patriots that just had that happen to them. Yeah, uh, even even seeing that and how everything transpired, how that whole setting played out, that, was, that wasn't that was actual the Patriot way. That, you know, going into the last play of the game, uh, it, this wasn't like it was a Hail Mary. Nice. This was something they, they was trying to draw in, the, you know, draw in the dirt to see if we can get in field goal range. Chances of that play actually, what they call it, Tennessee did it, and it was a miracle with them. That's the only time it was successful. Um, the, the percentages of this play being successful is very low. So that's the first thing. I don't know who or why that even came about. I'm pretty sure Coach had to address that and then come up with the answer on why they came, tried to do that. That's something. But it was totally against the, the norm for any player that have played for New England or been around that program. That was something that I just didn't I was, it was mind boggling. I met these guys the game is tied and you can go into halftime. I mean, go into overtime. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I, I, I imagine you still watch the Patriots quite a bit. I mean, the, the struggles they've had on offense. Mac Jones is very outwardly frustrated about a lot of different things that are going on. What what what's happening right now in New England, Dion? Correct. Honestly, let's be honest. It is the writing's on the wall. I mean, losing for one. Let's just say that. You, you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the thing is, I don't foresee the leaders. Who are the leaders on the team? You, you get what I'm saying. That's mm-hmm. the part I, I'm, I'm noticing, and I, I think this is a young team. And I think the, the younger guys are actually the ones who are taking more control of the team versus your veteran guys. You know, the Matthew Slaters and and the Devin McCourty. Those are the guys who who needs to be in charge, and I and I want to believe that those guys have been trying. But you, you kind of get it. It's almost like when you're being led by a bunch of young men who actually doesn't have the experience. 
uh, of, of actually leading. You know, I'm not saying Mac, Mac Jones is not a leader, but when you're looking at a scenario that plays out on, you know, Mac is over there fussing and stuff and doing all the extra stuff with the coaches, that's unpatriotic. Yeah, are you, know, you so are you surprised that the Mac is even still starting at this point, DM? Because you know Tom was very emo, or still is he's still playing very emotional, but a lot of it is directed at teammates to try to you teammates. know fire them up and get them to lock in. It's not directed at the play calling or the coaches, which is at what coach. seems to be happening with Mac. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty sure Mac is a little frustrated with his performance. You know, I'm sure yeah. he's not performing as well as he would have thought he would be doing this season. So that that could be one thing, but the thing is, you can't be lashing out at your coaches, and you know, for the most part, you don't be lashing out at your teammates either. But it's understood um, that is just just being competitive and everything. I, but as far as him playing and why he's still starting, uh, honestly, right now, I think that the, the 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 coaches feel that Matt gives them the best chance to win the game. Um, I don't know. I can't say who's the backup, or, you know, or, or if Zeppi. Is, is that guy? You, you get what I'm saying, right? I, I wouldn't sit and say that. Hey, Zeppi has shown him enough, or if they feel like he hasn't, you know, that's not my decision. A few more minutes here with Dion Branch. Uh, Bill Belichick's 70 years old now. Dion, uh, he's obviously had unparalleled success in the NFL. All the rings going back to his days uh, with the Giants. Uh, how, how do you foresee knowing Bill as well as you do and spending as much time with him? How does it end for him? Does he does he walk away? Does he do what Bill Parcells did and go into a front office role at some point? Like how how does how does Bill Belichick right. as the head coach of the Patriots end? Yeah, I can I can foresee uh, Coach Belichick taking that route. Um, you know, retiring but also still having his his hand right uh, within the organization. I can see that 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 would be something that I'm sure you know Coach Belichick and Mr. Kraft will sit down and talk about and discuss here pretty soon. I, I don't think Coach is going to sit around and and watch this right here happen. I think he'll rather step to the side and allow Mr. Kraft to bring someone else in to see if they can kind of spearhead some of this stuff. But he'll still have his hand within the organization and help him making some decisions. Um, that that that's my opinion, um, and I think that'll be a great choice. I think that'll be a great choice for the organization. But how long do I think Bill will probably stay around and continue being a head coach? Uh, who knows. Um, he made his wait around just to see if he can get this thing turned around for the guys, in which I believe they will at some point, maybe another year or two, and then he can possibly hang it up from that, especially being on the sidelines. And as for your old quarterback, Tom Brady, how, do, how does that end? Will it ever end? Is Tom Brady going to still be playing at, at age 50? What, 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 do you, what do you foresee with him? <laughs> hey, everybody asks me, man, you just never know with my big brother, man. Tom is... um. Is a man of many tricks and trades. Who knows? Knowing Tom, it wouldn't surprise me if he came back another season. You know, right now that deal with that he has with Fox that's sitting on the table, it's just on the table right now. Mm-hmm. My guy, he has his mind set on something, something totally different from what we're thinking. Everybody's like Tom. You know, you know, we, when we do speak, it's never about football and all of these things. It's always just about family and how you're doing X, Y, Z. You know, but me personally, I always ask him, like, Tom, what are you chasing? Because you're by yourself. In every record that you want, that you can think of, you're by yourself. What else are you chasing? You know, uh, greatness has already have already been accomplished. You're already the greatest. You get what I'm saying? Uh, but I honestly believe that this may be it, in my opinion. 
I think he will just set off in the sunset, spend way more time with his family, and, 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 and he'll be done. I think he'll be done. But it wouldn't surprise me if he came back one more season. When you've asked him, what is he still chasing? What does he say? What What is left uh, for him? Uh, it, it just laughs. Because, I mean, he knows there's nothing for him. There's nothing out there for him to chase. Only thing he's doing is setting the bar even higher. And, and I understand him on the competitive side. You know, when you, you look at a guy who was drafted when he was drafted, who has always been denied and told that you can't do something, you got to do it. You know, I think he's just putting these records away. You know, he's pushing the bar. And, and that, that comes with uh, a great immense of discipline. And, and, and he has that. You know, now how long he's going to do it, I don't know. Like I said, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I believe deep down inside this may be his last season, in my opinion. But it wouldn't surprise me if he came back for one more. Bill Belichick, career winning percentage, by the way, 664, .664, Dion Branch, 1,000. May want to leave it at that, Dion. Wow. I'm just saying, I don't know if opportunity may arise somewhere down the line, but we appreciate you joining, man. Great catching up with you. Yes, sir. Thank you. That is Dion Branch. Victor in the Fenway Bowl. Louisville's interim coach. That was awesome stuff on on Bill and, and Tom. Not many people know those two guys uh, like Deion Branch does. Meanwhile, some other quarterbacks uh, dealing with injuries. We got updates on Ryan Tannehill, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. Let's get to all those on the other side of this break. It is Tom Pelissero in for Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen Show. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase so all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can listen to the NFL and the NFL app on the Odyssey app on westwoodonesports.com via Westwood One Station Streams or by asking Alexa to open Westwood One Sports, sponsored by AutoZone. Free battery testing, free battery charging, and replacement batteries that fit your needs. That will make, that's what makes AutoZone America's number one battery destination. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Get in the zone. 
You sing it? I don't know. There it is. Nice. Uh, several starting quarterbacks not playing this week. Let's start out in Philadelphia where Eagles coach Nick Sirianni had to say this about their plan against the Cowboys. It's looking like uh, it's going to be Gardner. Um, Jalen did everything he possibly could to, to get his body ready to go. And, and just at the end of the day, he's, he's not going to, he's not going to be able to do it. And he, man, he, he tried like crazy. Um, and I know he still wants to go. Um, that's just the, the toughness that he, this is Jalen hurts is the toughest player I've ever been around. Gardner will be our guy and Gardner will be ready. Gardner worked his butt off, uh, to, for this opportunity, uh, against a really good football team and, uh, had a great practice yesterday. I think, I think you guys uh, have all heard that, uh, how good a practice he had yesterday, a lot of energy out there and, uh, he's ready to go. Howie Roseman could have traded Gardner Minshew at some point during this off season. He did not for situations like this, where if you had a scenario where you needed somebody to play in a meaningful game, which this is still meaningful, the Eagles trying to wrap up the number one seed against the Cowboys on Saturday, you have one of the best backup situations in the league with a guy who's won games in the league. He started a bunch of games in the NFL, and he brings that kind of moxie and that swagger and everything else uh, to the table with him. With regard to Jalen Hurts, my understanding is this is not anything long-term. It's not going to require surgery. If he had to play this weekend, if this were the Super Bowl on Saturday, okay, Jalen Hurts could probably find a way to play. But what this injury needs is rest. So you've got an MVP candidate who you're counting on for what you hope is a deep playoff run. The full focus right now for the Eagles is just make sure he's healthy. Yeah, he wants to play. He wants to boost his MVP case. He wants to help them wrap up the number one seed. But... Let's just, you saw him get driven into the ground. I mean, that that could be, you see that and you're like, is this, you know, is his shoulder out? Is his collarbone that's broken? Uh, Fortunately, it's none of those things. But they knew very early on in the week that Jalen Hurts was, you know, likely not going to be able to play here. And so it'll be Minshew uh, rolling out there. Another quarterback who's not going to play, Ryan Tannehill, officially ruled out by Titans coach Mike Vrabel. Again, not a surprise. It was very clear early in the week that that ankle, even though he came back in somehow, there's a, I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen a guy get carted off with shoe and sock off and come back in. Yeah. That, that doesn't, happen doesn't happen a whole lot in the NFL. He's dealt with ankle injuries, really both his ankles through the course of the season, but the right ankle's been the really problematic one. He has gutted it out. Another dude who is super tough, would love to be out there. He's pushed before. It's just not realistic for him to go. And so it'll be Malik Willis, who he does run around a lot. Somebody used the word street ball earlier. That is, there's a big piece of that to Malik Willis's game, just in terms of he can create. Is he ready to fully run the offense like Ryan Tannehill does? No, but he is going to make some things happen. And he's, you know, he's learning and he's getting better over the course of time. His first NFL start was about two months ago against the Texans because Tannehill had the ankle way back then, plus he got sick. And now, two months later, here he is. He's going to face that same Texans team, which I think Ritz actually crowned the Texans the uh, the moral victory champions of the NFL. That's really what it sounded like. Talking about nobody's tanking because the Texans are not uh, getting their doors blown off. They're actually in these games, even though they've won one game uh, on the season. Pros aren't going to tank, man. These are grown men out there playing. No, you know, they're, not, they're not tanking. Like, like I said to Rich, tanking in the NFL is not what you think of tanking in the NBA or other sports where guys are just kind of going through the motions. It's a, it's a, a noon game. 
Yeah, I remember back when when Latrell Sprewell was playing for the Timberwolves. Latrell Sprewell, and yeah, that would, they had that great run in 2003-04. Got to the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. Kevin Garnett was the MVP, but you know Latrell would in daytime games in the Sunday games he would inevitably score like eight points because he'd be going through the motions. He was out probably all night before, <laughs> but then he'd play in the you know the primetime games he played great and sam cassell who was an all-time character who was on that team one time was asked about it and he said like spree spree don't play in the daytime spree come out at night <laughs> <laughs> like you can't you can't just show up and just I've go through the motions in a game <laughs> you, you can't do it in, in the nfl so guys are always going to play hard you tank so to speak by trading away all your good players and sometimes they play well enough, the guys are left, and the coaches do a good enough job that it kind of ruins it. And you win too many games, and you end up not having the number one overall pick. The Texans, despite their best efforts, still look like number one. As of now, they'd have to, I believe they'd have to win out or win at least their next two games in order to not end up with the number one pick. So they're in you know strong position here, but they're facing a backup quarterback and a guy who that offense functions differently uh, when Derrick Henry's not out there. Also out, Lamar Jackson. Again, not a surprise. Has not practiced the entire week. The Ravens did hope initially when he suffered that PCL injury three weeks ago, this would be the week that he'd be back on the field going against the Falcons. Instead, still hasn't gotten back on the field. It does give you shades of what we saw last year when he had a week-to-week ankle injury. It turned out to be a bone bruise in his ankle and just never got back on the field. And also, the Ravens once again are seeing themselves go from being in position to have a high seed and win the division to now you're looking up at the Bengals and the standings. You're just hoping you can sneak in as a wild card and potentially pull off something if Lamar gets healthy and is available to you in January. Uh, some more details, by the way, on the the story we started out with, which was NFL Sunday ticket having yeah. a new home. It's going to YouTube TV, which is owned by Google. Uh, this is from the Washington Post. Google slash YouTube will pay the NFL about $2.2 billion annually under the seven-year Sunday ticket deal. The NFL retains commercial rights to broadcast games in bars and restaurants. That could push the package's annual value to about $2.5 billion. So just the exclusive rights to Sunday ticket, which was available on YouTube TV before, but a lot of people still had it through DirecTV. Now it's all YouTube TV, $2.2 billion annually why should anyone care about that the owners are getting richer well this also is a big driver in the salary cap and without getting into a lot of wonky details on this there's a media kicker in the 2020 collective bargaining agreement by which the media deals uh if they are high enough if they cross certain thresholds the percentage of the revenue the players get goes up yeah so it was 48% prior to those TV deals through, I think, 2033, the traditional ones with Fox and CBS and whatnot, and this deal through 2029. Well, now that bandwidth could go up as high as 48.8%. 0.8%. But that is hundreds of millions oh, of dollars yeah. that go towards teams. So the salary cap this year is, I think, about 208. It now could easily be upwards of 220. We don't know exactly where the cap is going to land yet. Because there's also some benefits that they got delayed in COVID that the union has to decide how they pay out. But the point is, once that's paid out, and now you've got these new TV deals, and you've got the gambling revenue, and the 17th game revenue, and the extra playoff game revenue, the salary cap, which took a dip 
the year after COVID in 2021 because they had to basically start paying back the no interest, low interest loan that owners had given the players. The cap has the opportunity to spike here. The question is going to be for the union, do you want to pay out all the benefits now and kind of have a gradual rise or do you string it out so this year's free agent class doesn't bear the full burden of paying back those benefits? It's an interesting type of it's a cost. It's a cost and revenue issue that they have to work through. We'll know what the cap is come March. Don't be surprised, though, if it's a record upwards of 220 million and that that could potentially be going much higher than that in 2024 and beyond, which leads to some some questions. You talk about Lamar Jackson. Right. He's going year to year as of now. If he does not take whatever the best offer is that the Ravens give him prior to middle of March when free agency begins, now you're going, I'm going to get tagged, but I'm going to bet that the salary cap is going to go even higher in 2024, and I'm that much closer and gaining leverage. If you think you could be healthy, because he's taking all the injury risk. Right. That's the biggest thing here. There's reasons no agent, he doesn't have an agent, no agent would have let him play last year in 2021 for like $3 million without a new contract. He's taking a different approach. It'll pay off if ultimately he does get the fully guaranteed contract he wants, but not starting that revenue stream now for Lamar Jackson is a risk. It's one he's apparently willing to take. Thanks to Dion Brantz, J.J. Reddick, Mike Garofolo, Rich for calling in. I'm Tom Pelissero. We'll be back tomorrow on the Rich Eisen Show.